You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Ethan James Green is someone I've always loved talking to, be it when we first met when he was a young and successful model showing me his early photographic work, or during his explosive arrival on the industry's main stage as a booming new name. But today we get personal and get into that journey that all artists know all too well when grappling with one's own evolution versus public perception. While he's not the first successful photographer to have other projects, we get to hear more about what led to his most recent adventure as a gallerist, something driven by both the passion for supporting the talent of others, but also an understanding of his own needs to diversify the subject matter of his creative endeavors. This is Ethan James Green, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. Bonjour. Hi. I wanted to start in the beginning in a different way with you, just because the photography is such a crux to your story. And it was something that you started as early as age 14. But it actually wasn't the first point of entry into fashion, which for you was moving to New York at what, 17 to be a model? I started coming here alone when I was 17. I like signed at 17. And then I was the first kid in my high school to graduate doing online school. The mm. last semester I did online, which is so crazy now because it's such a like normal thing. And then right after graduating high school, I went to Tokyo. For like two months and then I moved to New York. Were you in Tokyo for modeling or just yeah. because you went? Oh, okay. And the classic two month starting modeling thing. career <laughs> go to Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. And in that time, you've worked with some of the greats. I would imagine there were invaluable takeaways from being in front of their lens, given that you obviously ultimately decided to pursue photography. What were some of those takeaways? Well, with the greats, it was a lot of like how to act, mm -hmm. but different things from different ones with. My Zell, it was this commanding voice, but at the same time, not like in an, an aggressive way. The confidence with him, you wouldn't second guess yourself. I was young, so I didn't really fully know myself. And with other photographers, maybe I would be less confident. But the way that he speaks to you, it calms you down. But also, you just don't second guess yourself. And then also with like Michael Jansen or David Sims, seeing how... It's just streamlined. People are these high-level photographers for a reason. They know what they're doing. Of course, there is the element of being able to capture someone, but there's also, there's tricks. There's the catalog of tricks and equations. And the longer I shoot, the more I'm learning these tricks that you can pull out if something's not working. Or sometimes the shoots are just very planned out. But yeah, with the established photographers, it was seeing just how work is continually made at a high level. And did you already know when you were on those sets that photography was something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I kind of won the lottery in a way because I wanted to be a fashion photographer when I was 14. Uh -huh. Found out I could model when I was 16. I put together a modeling portfolio. Half of it was pictures my friends had photographed of me. Half of it was self-portraits. I would boss my older brother around. And I found a mother agent in Detroit and she took my dad and I to New York when I was 17 and we met with all the agencies and I presented a family photo album with Walgreen prints of pictures of me. And everyone thought I was just crazy because a, a male model, especially coming in, wanting to model at that time, being like self-discovered, doing online submissions, like it just wasn't a thing. It was so uncool. Was the intention to use that as a way into the industry or was it something that you also liked in and of itself? Yeah, I had a scholarship lined up for an art school in Detroit 
for a fashion photography program. And then once I found out I could model, I told my parents, I'm better off learning from the people I want to be like than the professors who weren't able to be who I want to be. You had shot with David Armstrong for his book in 2011, which led to him becoming your mentor and you starting to assist him. Can we talk a little bit about how that kind of shaped you? Yeah, I mean, David for me is like so much more than... Yes, the mentorship, the photography part of it, but I like didn't want to be gay till I met David. Like uh-huh. he really opened up so many possibilities and he was the first person who saw it for me in the city. But I learned how to act, who I could be, how to make someone comfortable, how to do pictures. And there's moments that the picture isn't the most important thing. And what that creates is amazing. And also integrity. David was the ultimate. He didn't do things unless he wanted to. And if it was right. And I think that's a huge thing to be able to have, especially when navigating fashion. And there's certain times that you have to put that to the side, whether it's a commercial client or making someone happy that you have to make happy. But integrity was just a huge thing. Well, you touch on the gay thing and having grown up in a religious family, I was curious to hear more about how you think that shaped the way you showed up in the industry in the beginning and even through to present day. I went from being on the worship team back home, playing the flute, to staying in a model apartment in New York and seeing someone drunk for the first time. So when I entered the fashion industry, it was very much like a free fall. I don't know, it was like having an identity crisis. Being 17 years old at 17, 18, jumping from one world and then going straight to Tokyo for two months, it flipped my world upside down. And coming from the Midwest and coming from a bubble inside of a bubble. And when the first time you go overseas, normal is the opposite of what you were told. It makes you so curious, but also maybe skeptical a little bit. Church was... Church was before school. Church was everything. Have you seen Jesus Camp? <laughs> so Jesus Camp, the doctor, that's how I grew up. It's like people speaking in tongues, army of God. And so you're trained to change the world. And it's all starting with you and the people in your youth group. And it's like a crazy, a crazy place to be. Is there any sort of like residual recovery from those years in your life? Or do you feel like you've moved beyond that? No, I think there's moments that things will pop up and I'll realize, oh, wow. Like when I moved to New York and in fashion, it was almost like another form of being in the closet. Like I didn't open up to anyone about it. Then I remember like one of the first times I told someone, all they said was, oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know it was that bad. But being in Japan, I remember going to a temple and seeing people genuinely participating. And I was like, wait, it just didn't add up. So it just has sent me sense like on a journey of what is spirituality without getting woo woo, just this personal journey. And maybe that shows up in the work. I was going to say the way you had to work through those things in your own journey, as far as self-discovery, identity, being okay with being gay and whatnot. Do you think those things ultimately informed a lot of your personal work that actually became the catalyst to your professional success? Oh, yeah. I think when I started doing my personal work, It was after working for David, so I had started to accept who I was and meeting other people that come from the queer community, but also, I don't know, when I started my personal work, I didn't know what trans was. 
And then I met Hari Neff and she was really open to just educating me and introduced me to a lot of her friends who were also trans and queer. And all of a sudden I, for the first time, felt like I was finding a community that could replace the community of church. Oh, in a way. wow. That's yeah. big. Before that, I always felt like I was just floating. Like I was this like lone wolf in a way. And so once I found the queer community, there was this different connection and it was like a group again. It was like a, its own bubble, but people were coming from all different places and there was a love for people that you've just met. You don't know them personally, but you're there for them. You'll stand next to them. And yeah, it was the first time I felt that since church. So I think that like really launched it off. And also there were things that once I knew someone who's trans, what the struggles are that they face compared to the struggles that I was facing as a gay man, it was totally different. And it was, okay, well, I need to like get over this and move on. And it just changed everything. A quote I really enjoyed from one of your past interviews is when you said that you think that we've been lied to for years and that it's only a certain type of person that can exist in a picture. Those early works we're talking about featured people who weren't predominantly featured within imagery at that time. Have you noticed a general shift in the industry? Yeah. No, I think there's certain things that are happening now, and I've talked with a lot of people about it recently, where if you would have told my friends and I six years ago, or however long it's been, it would be exciting, but also like hard to believe. But I think there's also places that it's just not genuine. Uh I think fashion's very fake. Uh Like when it comes to casting, with fashion, I think there's exciting things happening. And of course, seeing yourself in a picture when you don't usually can really have a powerful impact. But I think that the root of it isn't always as beautiful why people go for the casting that they do. Your work has made an impact, though, in the ways that we're discussing as far as the subject matter that you were really passionate about capturing and how that subsequently led to this incredible success within the fashion industry as a photographer. What moment, for all intents and purposes, did you feel like you had made it? It was kind of like a bunch of things at once. I had just shot the cover of Vanity Fair. I shot Joaquin Phoenix for Joker movie. And it was a really great shoot. Tom Guinness styled. My friend Marks did the set. And it was a roller coaster of a day, but the pictures were amazing. It just was a very magical shoot. And then we turned the pictures in. And Vanity Fair then, within an hour of receiving the pictures, asked me to shoot the Hollywood cover. And I was on set doing another shoot. That same day, Vogue asked me to shoot Rihanna, or I had found out that I was being considered for it. So it was my first Vogue cover. And then a week later, I was photographing my three friends, Dara, Marks, and Terrain, who are three people that I've photographed more than anyone else. And we were doing a McQueen campaign and we're shooting it where I shot my book that all of them are in. And that's when I got the call that I booked the shoot with Rihanna and everyone like cried. It was a very beautiful moment and we were all together and everyone was so happy for me and that week of time it was like all these things just started happening it's also powerful when you have that sort of alignment with a community or a generation that you're coming up with and i think 
one of the things that has been assigned to you at different points in your career is, of course, the sort of, you know, young, hot, cool downtown kid who's super plugged into culture in these ways. And there's almost a tapping into that when commissioning you for your work and what your work represents. How has your relationship to your role in the industry evolved since you first had that moment where success felt like it had arrived? It's been a journey for sure. Coming from being like, yeah, the young, cool kid who does pictures of his friends on the street. And I remember like doing shoots and we'd be like, yeah, no, we're going to shoot this in black and white. And it's going to be my friends on the street around trash. We're just going to do that. That's what we want to do. And people just ate it up. And every single thing that was happening in the moment, I think when you're young, you're so in tune with what's happening. And I would have an interaction with someone or meet a new group of people. And then it would be an editorial with that group of people. But then once you get a little bit older and you can't be the young street photographer anymore. And it's funny because I went from the young street photographer to like the Vogue. I think in ways people saw me as more polished or something. Like it was from one extreme to the other. Uh But with me, I love jumping around doing everything. And I think having a continuous thread that goes through all of it is what I try to do. But yeah, I'm 33 now. I turned 30 a month before the pandemic started. I started sobriety 2020, January 1st. Mm. So it was a kind of a superstorm going into the pandemic and then coming back and socializing. I was like really late. It just was really hard for me without being able to drink, without being able to be the young person who's like out at the parties and knows everyone. And figuring out where to land from that is hard. But I'm finally finding that place. And the stress of it is like, call me. And the stress of it is calming. What does that mean? Yeah, because I think it's happened so many times where you look at a photographer that you love and you see an old shoot or shoots like maybe you love a photographer, but all of a sudden this moment happened and then it all fell off. And there's always this question of like, how did it go from so amazing to not? What was the switch? Or you'll see some photographers still going now and it's like, why can't they bring it back to what it was? Like there's something that's missing. And I think that's being out of tune. And For the first time, I was feeling like maybe that was happening. And it was a crazy year for me in 2021 because I almost lost everything because I couldn't book a commercial client. And I was shooting the September cover of Vogue at the same time. It was like such a mindfuck. Yeah. Really was crazy. And then going from editorial to editorial and I grew a lot in the process because it was like survival mode. Every editorial had to be different. I had to grow. I had to get some sort of a ground as a creative where I was growing, where I was showing people I could do other things while trying to maintain the integrity instead of just doing what everyone else was doing. And then now I'm coming to a place where I feel very secure with what it is that I'm giving. and. I'm finding ways to now be a little bit more in the mix without it having to be a party or without it having to be being in your mid twenties and running around the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate to break it to you. You're still young. (laughs) (laughs) You know, something else I wanted to touch upon was obviously the segue into the gallery space and how you decided that you were passionate about other people's work and showing it and ensuring other people saw it as well. So what was the genesis of that? 
The gallery was really organic. And I think that like connects with what we're just talking about. It's me figuring out what I do next and how I can kind of exist and still have those connections. And I have always opened my space up to my friends to do work, whether we're collaborating or if they're doing something on their own. People are always in and out of the doors of the studio. Everyone calls it the studio. And a lot has happened there. And I wanted to do something with that and show what was happening there. And my friend Marcus Cuffey, who's a stylist, had told me that they were going to start working on their late father's archive, Stephen Cuffey, and they wanted to borrow my high-res scanner to start digitally documenting everything. And so they had been doing it for a few days and I finally walked over and saw the pictures. And to me, Stephen's work is just like top level portraiture. A lot of the pictures that Marcus was scanning were these nudes of black women in Baltimore in the 70s. And I just hadn't seen pictures like that. And I then asked Marcus if they would be open to us doing a show. And they were excited about it. And then they ended up curating our first show of Stephen Cuffey called Women. And at that point, were you already planning for it to be one of many or was it being treated as a one-off? It was just like bubbling, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I find a lot of what I do that's successful mm-hmm. is so organic. Mm-hmm. Like it just happens. And I'm very lucky to have a incredible group of people around me. I don't know. Everyone's so gifted and mm-hmm. there's a lot of talent and I have a very special group of friends and I mean, my first body of work started there. My second book started there. It really is about collaboration and friendship for me. So it started with Stephen Cuffey and then we did our second show in January with Drake Carr and it was a life drawing show. So he did a week in the studio, like a residency, he took over my photo studio, turned it into his studio did a week of sessions with friends coming in and we have a lot of crossover friends. And then a week after that, it turned into a show that you could come see what he had done. The room was filled with all these beautiful illustrations of all these downtown personalities. But while seeing the work that Drake had done, maybe you would catch him illustrating the next person. It was very like Antonio Lopez in a way, Mm -hmm. which I feel like we haven't, been exposed to anything like that in a long time mm-hmm. so it's almost like magical to see someone be able to capture people so well in a form that's not photography and to do it so quickly it was very beautiful and incredible to be part of that and then now we're doing our third show which is called sleeping beauties and it's all 20th century paintings that i've been collecting the past year it's an interesting kind of show because it's a lot of works that maybe young people aren't normally drawn to. I went to an expo this weekend randomly on Instagram. I follow a hashtag of one of the painters that we're showing. And a gallery posted this expo that all of the kind of like secondary market galleries were participating in. It was way uptown. And so I immediately went to go see because our show opens a week after just to see what other people who show these works, what they do. And I went there and everyone was like generations older than me. There was no one my age. Like 
it's very exciting because also I didn't see many paintings that I liked. Uh. So we have a very exciting curation of works because everything is strangely relatable and almost feeling contemporary. It's very instinctual, the selection process. But one thing that I've realized looking at it is there's this repeated feeling of the artist's having empathy for the sitter Mm. or for the subject and it's not formal and the subjects you look at them and it's like people you see on the street today so that's the sleeping beauty show and it's up till july 14 amazing having had success across at this point three verticals already from obviously your modeling career to your photography career and now making a segue into the gallerist life What kind of advice do you have for people trying to carve out their own space in the industry coming up today? I think collaborators is really key. You got to find your people and that takes some time. For fashion, I think if you're a photographer, you got to do something outside of fashion with your work before you go in. That was something that a photographer when I was really young told me because as a model, I would always, when there was space for that conversation, I would mention that I was like doing this because of photography. And I remember a photographer told me, he was like, oh, if you want to do fashion photography, you have to go out and you have to do something that isn't that before you enter to have your work have some sort of a anything to have substance, to have it be your own thing. So I think stepping outside is important. I think assisting if you can, finding a mentor if you can, and also being ready to break some rules. I think when you're the young person coming in, you got to be shaking it up. You have to be bringing something that the previous generation isn't bringing. I love that. And naturally, we have to ask you, what are your thoughts on what's contemporary now? I think it's a lot of things. I think something that's contemporary, it's authentic to the moment. But I think also there's a lot of synthetic to the moment that is also contemporary. Relatability and I think mixing with collaboration, getting multiple perspectives and doing something together. And to push forward, to go to the next step, you have to break the rules and you have to make people feel uncomfortable. Well said. Thank you, mister. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. A special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, who makes it all possible. Original theme music by Joseph Top Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft. And visual design by Aaron Marr and Graham Prentice. Subscribe now to be the first to hear new episodes and for more content follow us on Instagram at What's Contemporary or visit us online at whatscontemporary.com. 